This is The Shift Podcast. Thanks for checking out The Shift Weekend Podcast with John Jang. On this episode, we see what's cracking in Seattle as the city is months away from entering the NHL as the league's 32nd team. Are you okay with filing your taxes? They're going to look different this year because of CERB, CRB, and Employment Insurance, or EI. And why are award shows going the way of the dodo bird? And of course, another edition of Learning Portuguese with Uncle Leo. For now, like I mentioned, the special guest joining us on the show, a Seattle sports media legend. He's got over two decades as a sports talk show host under his belt in the resume. He has written no less than four books, Leo, in case you're wanting some advice. He's also a contributor on various media outlets, not just in Seattle, but actually around the United States. Mike, the gas man, Gastineau, thank you so much for joining us tonight. John, thanks for asking me. It's great to talk to you again, and uh, and thanks for that uh, very flattering introduction. That's a lot of nice words. L- living legend usually just means been around for a long time, a.k.a. old. Oh, come on. Don't beat yourself up. I mean, when I say uh, living legend, look, I, I, I get it, man. And I worked in sports radio for about three years, and I know that it's a lot tougher than people think it is. It's not just watching the game and keeping notes. It's an entire lifestyle, Mike, and... I have nothing but respect and admiration for those like yourself who have managed to do it for so, so long and uh, stay on top of some of the changing trends in the game. I always said to people, because I stepped away from it full time a few years ago, and it, I, I didn't even realize, and I always say to people, it's, it's, it's not the hardest job in the world, but it is harder than it looks. And especially in how you watch games and how you think about what you're watching. You know, now I'm I'm back to just kind of being a fan. I watch a game and if my mind wanders, so what? Or if I get bored and turn it off, so you know, but when you're in the business and you know that you're doing a show and you're you're going to have to talk about what you see, you just you watch things more intense. Uh uh you 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 know, and again, it's not hard. It's just a different way in how you consume things and uh, I I really loved it when I did it and I think it's getting harder just because there's there's so many other things competing with you out there right now. It's uh, it's a lot different than it was when I started uh, way, way back in the day. Oh, 100%, especially with the way that sports has changed. It's not just watching to see who's got uh, the most goals, the most points, the most rebounds, things of that nature. Now it's underlying numbers, advanced analytics. Sports has truly become a science, and so even trying to create opinions you have to do so with so much more sophistication than what I uh, kind of grew up listening to on sports talk radio. But I digress. I just know that it's difficult. And I, again, I appreciate you joining us here. Now, I have to provide some background context. 11 years ago in 2010, I was an intern at a sports uh, radio station in Seattle called 950 KJR, where Mike, uh, you were hosting. And on my first day walking into that station as an intern, I, I knew I had to make a statement. So I walked in wearing a Vancouver Canucks jersey in Seattle, something that I knew would be a little polarizing because not everybody knew what the NHL was really about. Two on-air hosts at KJR actually appreciated it and knew what the heck it was. One of them was Ian Furness, who's still there at 950, and the other was you. And I love that I could actually find uh, talented individuals like yourself who appreciated what hockey was all about. So take us through your exposure to hockey when you were younger, because I know it's quite the story. You know, my uh, the very first game I went to was the very first game in Indianapolis Racers history. Uh, the Racers were an expansion team in 1974 in the World Hockey Association. I was 14. And I had, before that, I'll go back even further, before that, I used to listen to Chicago Blackhawks games on the radio. I was, you know, I was a radio geek from the time I was a little kid, and I remember they, it seemed like they always played a home game on a Sunday night, and I would listen to it. Like you know, I had to go to bed, you know, for school and everything. I don't know whatever it was, eight o'clock or nine, and and I would spend time in the bed with the transistor radio listening to these guys call the game, and they just. You know, hockey on the radio has always sounded so good. You know, they, even back then, I mean, they had it mic'd up, and it was just, you know, I'd never seen a game. I had no idea, but I'm, like, imagining in my mind what it looks like. And, I mean, I'd seen pictures. But then by the time Indianapolis gets a team, I'm now I'm 14. I'm really dying to see a game in person and see what it's like. And I was hooked right away. 
and uh, and and followed the racers for the, the next five years while they were there. One of my probably my biggest sports regret is I was a freshman in college uh, at Indiana University, and a friend of mine had tickets to a racers game in 1979, I think it was, and uh, and said, "Yeah, I got tickets. Let's go watch this kid Wayne Gretzky play," because because Gretzky's you know first pro team was the Indianapolis Racers. I think he played a dozen games or so before he got sold to Edmonton and the franchise folded and all that. But, but I could have gone to see him play, and I didn't. Yeah, I said, I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm, 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 you know, it was an hour drive, and I just didn't feel like doing it. You know, stupid mistake. I, I wish I had that in my, my sports mind a little bit. The memory of seeing Gretzky as a teenager, uh, and he was, it was a huge phenomenon. You know, he came to Indianapolis, and I mean, there was all kinds of media about it. You know, here's this 18 year old superstar to be, and and uh, it, you know, I've always thought, you know, the other guy who was on that team was a guy named Mark Messier. And if only the racers had had some deep-pocketed local owners. There was a guy named Nelson Scalbania that owned them at the time, and I think he was from Edmonton. And clearly his plan was to move the team or to get the team up to Edmonton. Edmonton already had a team, but he folded the racers, and and uh, and, and that's that. But if we'd have had you know, decent local ownership with deep pockets, is there a chance Messier and Gretzky do everything they did in Edmonton instead of – or in Indianapolis instead of Edmonton? I don't know. It's a pretty big dream, but it might have happened, you know. So wow, that, that's where it, it 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 got me interested. And you know, the funny thing is, I've never lived in a city with an NHL team, and that's going to change this coming fall. Uh, but when I moved to Seattle, is this a long enough answer? By the way, God, I've been talking for ten minutes. Um, when I moved to Seattle, you, you know, the Canucks were the team we'd get all the time. You'd get them on TV and various TV packages and all that. And so I just I became a fan of the of the Canucks. Just because I would see them, they were the, the team that, that I consumed the most media of, and and I'd been the same way. I lived in Northern Virginia for a while and was a fan of the Washington Capitals for the same reason. We just got the games on TV, and so okay, I'm gonna watch them. Uh, that was in the '80s, but uh, the Canucks now for 30 years. You know, I've been a, a big fan. Matter of fact, the last sports event that I went to before COVID changed everything was the Predators game in Vancouver a year ago, February. I think the Canucks won like. Six to two, they just looked fantastic. They were on that run that would, you know, it's funny. And they stopped, and then they they cranked back, and they had a terrific playoff run in in the bubble. Um, so I've always liked the sport. Uh, I've always liked uh, uh, the Canucks, at least since '91, since I got here. And it's uh, I'm looking forward to the arrival of the Kraken. Oh, we could have an entire segment really where we just kind of go over the history of some of the early days of the NHL and players like Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, all of them. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, by the way, I hear he had a pretty good career for himself, so not too bad. Although uh, right now, when it comes to that name, all of Canada is still very much in mourning. As we learned, uh, Walter Gretzky, Wayne's father, passed away yesterday. So um, definitely, we're still taking a lot of interaction on our text message inbox, on our phone lines from uh, people who wanted to share their thoughts about Walter Gretzky and what he meant to them. But the Kraken specifically is why... We've got you on the show here tonight, Mike, and soon uh, the NHL will have its 32nd team, and that will be the Seattle Kraken. We know that they're going to be called the Kraken. We know that they're going to be playing out of Climate Pledge Arena, which is the refurbished Key Arena, downtown Seattle. I'm wondering, since you know so much about the Seattle sports scene and you have your, your finger on the pulse, what do you think this is going to do for that sports scene? And do you think enough people give Seattle credit for being a major sports city on par with places like Philadelphia, Detroit, L.A., Chicago, New York, markets that have uh, basically a team from every major sports league? And yes, I'm going to count the NBA because it's probably just a matter of time before Seattle gets another NBA team. I, I think hockey is going to be huge down here, and particularly at the start. I think there's so much pent-up demand. There's two things that, that, that are a factor in this thing. Um, the pent-up demand is to get out and do things after this, this pandemic that we've all dealt with. And then if you're a Seattle fan, you know, 13 years now since the NBA, you know, uh, allowed the Sonics to be pilfered away, and nobody thought it would be 13 years without basketball, and I certainly didn't. I thought they'd be back. Well, so now... If you're if you're a fan of pro sports, you know the Seahawks season ends whenever it ends, and then you're like, okay, what am I going to do? And I mean, the Sounders have certainly filled a huge uh, role in in getting people excited, and the Mariners, even though they haven't been good, you know, people, they're baseball fans, people like baseball. But there's been a huge hole in kind of the heart of this city for a long time without the winter sports 
team, the Winter Pro Sports team, I think there's going to be, I mean, that, the first year with the Kraken, I think it'll be great if they can be good. But I don't know how necessary I think that is. It's funny, everybody talked about, oh, it's going to be like Las Vegas. If they're as good as Vegas, it'll be, it'll be a big deal. I think it's going to be a big deal no matter how good they are on the ice. I mean, I don't think they want to be horrible. But I think they can come out and, and the, you know, the, their rollout, their name rollout, their logo rollout, the, the amount of excitement around tickets, the amount of uh, excitement around the waiting list for tickets. This city, I think, is ready to pop. I, I think Seattle, I think the Sonics leaving gave Seattle a bit of a sports inferiority complex. Like, hey, what did we do wrong? What, you, you know, we're, we're good fans. We go to games. We buy the merchandise. And I, I think the city kind of collectively wants to show the world because – you know, all these years later, people say, oh, yeah, you wouldn't build the Sonics an arena. Well, that's not exactly even close to true. Uh, you, you know, you didn't support the team. Well, you know, again, 40 years of support would make that argument pretty foolish. I think Seattle fans are really interested and excited to show the world again, as they've done with the Sounders, as they've done with the Seahawks, as they've done with the Storm, as they've done with the Mariners, especially when the Mariners were, were blowing and going. Ready to show everybody, hey, this city supports its sports teams and does so passionately. And I, I think the Kraken will be no different. We're continuing our conversation about the impact the Seattle Kraken is going to have on that city and the NHL at large with our guest, Mike Gastineau, a.k.a. The Gas Man, a longtime Seattle sports media legend. When you get a nickname called The Gas Man, you know you've done all right for yourself. And Mike, it's not like Seattle sports fans are completely ignorant to hockey. Right, We got the Seattle Thunderbirds, it's the Spokane Chiefs. The WHL has been in Seattle for a very long time, and just in Washington State's overall. So there are hockey fans that have established in that city and in that state. Now it's just going up a notch with the NHL finally coming back in. It's a great point, you know, between the, the Thunderbirds and, and Everett, you know, which is just a half hour north of Seattle, two WHL teams both playing in, in perfect-sized arenas. You know, the Thunderbirds for years were, were at the key arena. It was not good for hockey at all. It wasn't designed for hockey. And they got a new place down in Kent, about an hour south of town, 45 minutes south of town. Everett's got their building about a half hour, 45 minutes north of town. Night after night during the winter, six, seven, eight thousand people going to both of these ga- you know, both of these buildings to see junior hockey. There's a hockey community here. I mean, they, they, it's not like... there's going to be some explanation of the game. There'll be some things that, you know, you'll have to do with fans, but it's not as if this city was bereft of hockey fans, as you point out, and especially with the support, the minor league teams, the junior league teams have received. Um, It's, you know, people know, and, and again, you know, with mass media, you know, people know the sport. I mean, games get pumped into this market all the time on the various networks. You know, we benefit from living here, you know, we get hockey night in Canada. We get the doubleheader each weekend. We get you know, afternoon games occasionally, and 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 games during the week occasionally. So, th- th- certainly, if you if you like hockey, I mean, you know, nowadays you could you can buy the whole package, obviously on a satellite deal. But even if you don't, even if you just have basic stuff, you can follow the game pretty you know pretty thoroughly. And 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 I think a lot of people here have over the years, and I I think it's going to be very evident once the Kraken get going. Do you think a part of the reason why Seattle sports fans are so excited about the Kraken is because they're thinking long-term and they know that uh, because the Kraken are getting this brand new refurbished arena called Climate Pledge Arena, well, in just a few short years, it's not only housing an NHL team, it could possibly be housing another NBA team. And something I've always said, even though I live in Vancouver, is that between these two cities, Vancouver and Seattle, if one of these cities deserves to get another NBA team back, it has to be Seattle first. Because Seattle literally had it stolen and stripped away. Whereas here in Vancouver, it was a little bit more complicated. And I still think that the Seattle basketball scene is just significantly stronger than what we've got here in Vancouver. So I always feel that the Emerald City deserves to get that basketball team back before even Vancouver. I'd love to see them both come back. You know, again, I think, and I, I think this is going to happen. I, I believe Seattle will have an NBA team. I don't know. I, I think it's going to be much quicker than people anticipate, like three years. Maybe you know, the NBA has indicated now that they're going to explore expansion. They're like every other business. They're trying to come up with ways to make up for the shortfall of cash because of you know the, the economic impact of COVID and having to play a whole season with no fans. 
you know, I've heard outrageous numbers for expansion franchises. That, you know, I mean, the, the kind of the going number people have said is it's going to be $2 billion to get an expansion franchise, which is what the Clippers sold for a couple of years ago. So I think it'll be north of that. Um, and I think they're going to add, to your point, way back at the start all this, you, you want to have an even number of teams. So I think they're going to add two teams. And I think cities, I think Seattle will be one of them, and I think it'll be Vancouver, Vegas, yeah, I don't. I don't think Kansas City gets involved. They they haven't had the league there for so many years, and they've had a new building, and there's never been any interest there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a place like Austin, Texas, you know, Austin get, gets overlooked in this stuff. It's the fastest growing city in the country. It's got incredible tech money. Uh, there's a lot of money down there. I could see them getting involved, and I think that the NBA's goal would be to try and have, if they're going to add two teams, they'd like to have at least three cities bidding, and then they can drive up the expansion thing, but. I think the Sonics are coming back. I, I think that'll happen sooner. And I'm, I'm just this is just my opinion. I don't have any inside info. I, I think sooner rather than later they'll be back. And, and I, I'd love to see Vancouver get the other team because I used to love going up there. I mean, I, I love coming up there for hockey. We used to go up at least one of the two times the Sonics would play there. It's just a great city to visit. It's such a short drive. It's it's worth the trip always. I say the same thing about going to Seattle, man. I love going to Seattle. I make it a yearly trip where we uh, get a bunch of friends, uh, load up in a couple of different cars, and then we drive down I-5 and make our way into Seattle. When you see the Space Needle just around the horizon, you know it's going to be a fun weekend, and boy, do I miss that. But as the border remains closed, uh, we don't even know the next time we'll be able to say that, hopefully this summer. Uh, Mike, you know, one of the things when it comes to the Seattle and Canada sports relationship is that People here on the West Coast, uh, British Columbians, Vancouverites like myself, we have a pretty hot and cold relationship with Seattle sports, don't we? Like you just sort of mentioned, there's Seattle hockey fans that are probably excited about the Vancouver Canucks. There's plenty of Canucks fans that will be excited about the Kraken. And there's Vancouver fans who are Seahawks fans, that are Mariners fans, that are Sounders fans, and this relationship is very give and take. However... When the Toronto Blue Jays are in town in Seattle uh, for what turns out to be Labor Day long weekend, it turns into a contentious affair. And it's a major rivalry between Seattle Mariners fans, visiting Blue Jays fans. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, T-Mobile Park is filled with Canadians and it can be a little hostile for Mariners fans. So it's been quite dramatic over the past number of years. Do you think we're going to see more of that kind of rivalry between Kraken fans and Canucks fans or even Kraken fans and Flames fans, Oilers fans, you name it? Yeah, I think it's going to become a rivalry. I, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how the players react to it. The fans will be into it right away. The Kraken, since way before they were the Kraken, are always talking about how they want to have a rivalry with Vancouver. And it's little brother. It's little brother versus big brother. If I'm the Canucks, I'm like, Oh, you want to have a rivalry? Well, maybe it, let's you know beat us a couple of times first, and then we will think of you as a rival. You know, so I, I think there'll be some of that. Uh, I think the fans will be will be into it from the start. The Blue Jays thing has always been the dumbest thing in the world. Seattle baseball fans drive me nuts sometimes. I'm like, you're sitting there, you're booing fans for coming to the game. You know, who you ought to hate the Astros. First of all, they kill us every year. Second of all, they cheated. <laughs> <laughs> get mad at them. Who can't, the Blue Jays are our lovable cousins from the north. You know Who cares? What have they ever done to us except buy tickets to our game and stay at our hotels? You know, it, it is the dumbest reaction that Mariner fans get worked up that so many Toronto fans come to the game. I've never understood it. Get mad at the Astros. They're the, they're the bums out there. And, and I, I think the hockey thing... It'll be more because they'll be in the same division, I think. I mean, who knows how they're going to ultimately – I think that's how they're going to align when they get through off all this and get back to the way the divisions were. And they'll obviously be – you know, I don't know how the schedule will work out, but three or four times a year when they'll play, if not more. And, and then you get a playoff series. If you're lucky enough to get that in the first couple of years, that'll obviously put the blowtorch to, to what kind of rivalry it could be. The proximity is going to create a lot of energy and a lot of heat. One thing Mariners fans and Blue Jays fans, just Canadians and American fans can both agree on, uh, James Paxton, the Big Maple, the pride of Ladner, British Columbia, all is right in the world because James Paxton is back with the Seattle Mariners signing a one-year deal this offseason. Yeah, that worked out pretty well for him. They got a bunch of guys for him, and then they got him back. So that's, you know, the, the Mariners, you know, 
have stepped on a few rakes in the lawn over the years, but uh, that's one that they really got right, that deal. And, yeah, I'm, I'm glad James is back. He is Mike the Gas Man Gastineau, living legend from Seattle Sports Media. Uh, he's an author. He's a contributor on so many different outlets, giving us some time here tonight on the show. Mike, really do appreciate that you could connect with us. It's been uh, 11 years since you and I had the chance to speak like this, and, boy, it's been long overdue. Thank you so much. Call us anytime. Or call me anytime. You can call whoever you want, I guess. But I would be happy to come on your show whenever, John. It's great talking to you again. You got it. That's uh, Mike Gastineau. And uh, it's always nice to, to reconnect with an old colleague like that. I mean, uh, if you had told me 11 years ago when I was just starting my radio career as an intern in Seattle that I'd have the chance to have Mike on my show as a guest like this, uh, I would have said, you crazy. You out of your mind. But... Here we are, man. Life is a, is a wonderful trip. Uh, I do appreciate Mike for his time. And, and boy, I, I do get excited. I know like hockey isn't necessarily the, the biggest story in the news right now, but I think a lot of us are very curious to know, you know, do American um, fans of hockey, do they understand that the, the game, is, it's, it's a lovely game, and when it arrives brand new to your city, and it's never really been there before, at least in the modern day, you know, what is that reaction like? And, and do, we, do we as Canadians even really appreciate what it's like having uh, hockey teams in our cities? And, and the fact that it's our game maybe prevents us from experiencing that, that joy of, oh my goodness, we finally got a team. I mean, I guess unless you're talking about Winnipeg and the fact that the Jets had come back more recently. But I guess for everywhere else, you know, the, the fear of Canadian teams not being able to be financially relevant or stable, we just don't worry about those things anymore. So, Leo, I don't know about you, but like the fact that Seattle's getting a hockey team, for me, I'm excited about it, and I think it's all good things for the actual health of the NHL. Yeah, I'm excited too, especially I mean, living here like in the West Coast, mm-hmm. in Vancouver. It's another excuse for me as a hockey fan to go down there. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm sure... Well, maybe our listeners like in the East Coast would prefer a team in Quebec City or something. Sure. Or something I, like I, that. I can, you know like what? For me, here on my bias, I, I'm happy. It's another excuse to go to Seattle because I remember go, I go there for baseball games when the right. Yankees are in town. Right. I go, you know, um, yeah. So now, like, I, like I only watch the Flames here in Vancouver. So now, I, you know, after this pandemic's clear, I can go, can catch them in Seattle too. So, so yeah. So it's and and fun. and I would totally uh, support the idea of Quebec City getting a, a hockey team back there, right? Because I've been to Videotron Center, and even though size-wise, like it's not, it's not at 18,000 seats, which can be problematic for the NHL because I think 18,000 is generally what they want as like, a, as like a minimum. But we know one thing in Quebec City is that there are fans, right? And, and even if you're, I believe Videotron is closer towards 17,000 max capacity. Don't quote me on that. I'll Google it later. Um, you know, at least you know you're going to have a consistent sold-out building. Now, is there enough corporate support in Quebec City? That's kind of what got them in trouble with the Nordiques last time around. But I would love to see more Canadian teams. Who wouldn't? It's just, you know, I, I do think it's important to grow the game in other places because Canada is always going to love hockey. We're always going to have a passion for this game. It's our game. But when we get the chance to go and now share that love, share that passion, share this wonderful sport – with a market that I think really does appreciate hockey, like Seattle, I'm all about it. You know, it, it's more exposure, it's more support, it's new fans. And one thing that maybe I look forward to is, is being able to drive down to Seattle, go to any kind of Seattle sports bar, doesn't matter which one, and be able to start a conversation with somebody in Seattle about hockey and and they would know enough to to have a conversation with me you know that doesn't really happen right now and i i think it'd be really cool it's one of those things that as neighboring countries and as partners for so many different reasons the usa and canada it's a cultural connection that i think is missing right now so that's just me i'm selfishly talking about it because i'm a hockey fan you know that's what i do that's what i am i worked in sports radio myself for three years so i get it i do appreciate mike for his time This is The Shift Podcast. For now, let's bring in our good friend, Roberto. Yeah, Roberto, you know, doesn't get stressed, never really, because all he has to do is play the guitar. Are you okay with royalty drama? And boy, oh boy, royalty and drama seem like they go really well together these days. 
I haven't watched The Crown, but it's uh, it's yeah, it's uh, it's making huge noise and getting very positive reactions. So I guess I'm I'm okay with it. Like uh, the movies are pretty good. So yeah. See, the thing is, I'm not talking about drama TV shows. No, no, no just say like real life drama. I, I get it. I get what you're talking about because I mean, hey, we're going to talk about the Golden Globes and the award shows later on. The Crown did have a pretty successful night at the Golden Globes most recently. I don't watch it. I haven't watched it, uh, but I do know that of course the real life history of the Royal family uh of course in in england uh it's quite dramatic so i think i think it works are you okay with royalty drama and specifically what is going on with Meghan markle and prince harry take a listen how do you feel about the palace hearing you speak your truth today i don't know how they could expect that after all of this time we would still just be silent if there is an active role that the firm is playing in perpetuating falsehoods about us. And if that comes with risk of losing things, I mean, I've there's a lot that's been lost already. All right, so that's a little clip. Meghan Markle uh, sitting down in an exclusive interview with Oprah Winfrey where apparently Meghan Markle will reveal all and Uh, This is, again, kind of going to the question that I asked last week, Leo, where I asked, like, are you okay with royalties sort of being treated as celebrities? Well, in this case, Meghan Markle was a celebrity and then she became royalty. So it's kind of hard to disassociate one from the other. But it just seems like a little much, a little much. And, and, and I get it, like, you know, Meghan Markle, maybe she's got some very valid points. We are also hearing quite recently that Meghan Markle is now being accused of creating a toxic work environment for, from uh, some of her staff members, saying that, you know, she mistreats them, uh, verbally abuses them, things of that nature. Of course, these are all just allegations so far. We don't really know where the truth of the matter lies. But I always seem to find, and you've heard this saying before, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And, you know, what Megan is going to say with this Oprah interview and what reports are saying about Megan and Harry, like all of this is just propaganda from one party to the other, trying to convince the public at large that our story is correct, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, I don't really care. And I, I, I don't feel bad about that. And I get it. Like Canada, hey, the queen is still on our money. Uh, you know, we, we, we come from uh, as a British colony. And, and so we're supposed to care. But I really, really don't. And I don't feel bad about it. Like, are we supposed to have an active, you know, say in all this? I don't think so. It's going to happen regardless of what it is you think or what it is that you believe. And honestly, there are so many bigger things happening in the world, right? COVID-19, all the political things that are happening. What's the future for certain pipelines in Canada? Like those things are way more pressing and more interesting to me. Are we going to have a federal election, right? I mean, there's a lot of experts out there humming and hawing because the possibility of a federal election is still looming around the corner later this year. That is interesting to me. No matter how many headlines you make about Meghan Markle, about Prince Harry, about Prince William, about Prince whoever, Stop it. Just leave me alone. I want to focus on Canadian interests. This just doesn't work for me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm the rare minority, though. I don't know. Roberto? Roberto doesn't care. Roberto only cares about his guitar. Call it selfish or not, I think it's great. Are you okay with new music? Think about that carefully before you answer. Are you okay with new music? New, like something that's being released new i'm okay so you know like i listen to a lot of new latino stuff oh so, yeah okay okay so that's why it's on my playlist from new warriors other than that i just listen to stuff that i already knew know from the past so i'm at a point in my life now you know i'm turning 31 this year and I, I find and like this is me being honest with myself i find that i've slowed down how often I used to go look for exciting new music. I don't know if I have a firm understanding of why that is. Maybe at some point in your life, you just get very comfortable with the music that you've already collected in your entire life, and you feel like there's nothing out there that could be better than this, 
right? Or there's nothing better that fits my mood better than this. I'm at a point where I still try to encourage even to myself, like I need to listen to new music. And that's what part of the Shift Weekend Spotlight hopefully is to some of our listeners tonight, is that it's an opportunity for you at least once a week to maybe hear something new that you haven't heard before. And of course, the bonus is that they're Canadian talent. But it's hard. And I think the reason why I do it too with the Weekend Spotlight is because I know that I'm not the only one who struggles to discover new music or just doesn't really try as hard as I could to make it happen. Are you okay with new music? Take a, take a listen to this. And if you've been wondering why don't I like new music, maybe this makes sense to you. Maroon 5 have emerged following a four-year hiatus, releasing a new single called Beautiful Mistakes. To promote the song, frontman Adam Levine appeared on Zane Lowe's podcast on Apple Music. During the interview, Levine discussed showing his daughter old music videos, specifically early videos from Avril Levine. It was at that time he says he noticed that there just aren't any bands anymore. If it seems like this conversation is deja vu, that's because Levine has made similar statements in the past. During a 2018 interview with Variety, Levine famously proclaimed that rock music is nowhere. He said, quote, Rock music is nowhere, really. I don't know where it is. If it's around, no one's invited me to the party. All of the innovation and the incredible things happening in music are in hip-hop. It's better than everything else. Now in the new interview with Zane Lowe, Levine doubled down on his claim. He says that there aren't any rock bands that are relevant to him. Speaking on showing music videos to his daughter, he said, I've been playing her a lot of Avril Lavigne records. Like, dude, I'm With You is like, yeah, that gives you tears. It's crazy because you don't remember it in the same way because you took it for granted. Because it was like when you were growing up and it's a part of what you had on the radio. But there's some really great songs that I didn't understand how good they were back then. Interesting. Okay, so frontman for the Maroon 5, Adam Levine, talking about how he feels there's no music anymore. Like, there's no instruments, there's no rock music anymore, because a lot of new artists are maybe preferring to do things digitally, like digitally creating music. And I don't know if this is meant to be a shot at, like, electronic music specifically, or dubstep, for example, which has no real instruments whatsoever. It's all distortions through, uh, through soundboards and all of that nature. But I feel like, does he have a point? Do- <laughs> Again, admittedly, I don't seek out new music as much as I used to. But I do know that there's still tremendously talented instrumentalists that are actively engaged with recording new music, uh, being part of massive concerts, and all of that. And I, I, I don't know, maybe it's a little funny to me that Adam Levine is referencing Avril Levine as like a classic example of what it should be. And I don't want to take a shot at Avril because, hey, she's a tremendously successful Canadian artist. It's just, it feels like if you're going to be making this particular argument, uh, th- <laughs> there's... There's other examples that maybe just have more or at least hold more water. Just saying. 877-399-9898. Trucker Dan says, what you're talking about is called taste freeze. It's when your desire to expand your music horizon stops. And maybe it's a psychological thing. Maybe it's an age thing. I don't know. But that's interesting to me. I've never heard of a taste freeze before. Maybe that's something we can do. We can bring an expert on that for next time. Yeah. Speaking of expert, I've heard like music experts talking this about the past because we usually get acclimated with what we like mm. and at some point like you said we we just stop and we just tend to sit in our comfort zone and we listen to what we already know because i guess it's made basically f- it formed our character right so i guess that's pretty much it that's interesting i mean it, i guess it makes sense because I, like i said I, i'm an example of maybe this happening to me right now and the music that i've collected over the years i really do enjoy like i love that music Hmm. We're going to need to find like a music expert, a music historian who can talk on this a little bit more because it is fascinating to me. Is it just an age thing? You know, do we get burned from, for example, like if you have a favorite band and you got so excited for a new album that you were waiting for and then you finally hear it and you're like, ah, this isn't really what I thought it would be. It didn't live up to the hype. Is that maybe also why you don't get so excited for new music anymore? 
Yeah, I guess it could be, but that that, that point is a bit different because you mm. already love the artists like for, right. for their hits. So even like when a new artist releases like a new album and you go to a concert, you don't want to hear the new stuff, right? You just want to hear like their hits that made them famous. So I guess is this actually are we actually listening to new mm. new music when we're listening to the artists that we already know? Like it's different with them when then we when we expose ourselves like to new artists that we don't know with new music that we also don't know. Right. So okay. I guess that would be my point. No, I think it's a good point. Trucker Dan says Leo just nailed it. So I think yeah, what you're saying is making a lot of sense. Uh, I would still I'm still so fascinated by this. Well, we 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 got to do a deeper dive on this maybe next week. We'll 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 try to spend the next few days trying to find the right music expert who can maybe talk on that a little bit, but that's really interesting stuff to me. Uh, we got this one text from Bev saying all of the reasons that you said regarding the subjects, COVID-19, political, uh, you know, federal election possibilities. Well, maybe that's part of the reason why there's so much focus on Megan and Harry. Escapism. We need escapism because the everyday news can be really hard and heavy. I didn't think of it that way, right? Because like for me, it's, it's yeah, I guess it's different. And I, I, you know what, Bev, I think you made a very good point. For me, it's different because it's my job to be in, in, you know, involved with current events, politics, news, and all of that. And so to me, I can't really get tired of it. I mean, I can, like it, it can, it can weigh heavily on my mind sometimes, but my job is to make sure that I'm on top of these things. So I'm actively looking for the newest stories. I'm trying to find what's happening, but for everybody else, like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like when you hear so much about COVID-19 and vaccine delays and et cetera, et cetera, maybe the one thing you really want to just focus on and spend like an hour of your day focusing and paying attention to has nothing to do with any of that. It's, it's about royal families. It's about, you know, TV shows. It's about whatever. Maybe I've forgotten that. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm just over six months into this job. So, like, I've had to change. I mean, my, my lifestyle has kind of changed as a result. So maybe I'm just too fresh into this particular thing. And it doesn't feel heavy for me yet. But maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Uh, some really, really great thoughts from really great responses here at 877-399-9898. Let's wrap up our uh, Are You Okay's. Roberto, get ready. Ah, yeah. Uh, Always ready. Always flawless, the execution. Are you okay with filing your tax return? Oof. This could be difficult for some people because it can be complicated and a little intimidating because there's so many numbers and so many forms and so many things that are happening. Not everyone knows what they're doing. You go and find an accountant. You go to H&R Block, for example. You go and find the right people to help you out. Are you okay with filing your taxes? Why are you Why are you describing me, John? <laughs> <laughs> some people is what, looking what, at me. What went wrong with you and your oh, taxes? Oh, when I first got here, like quick little story so i tried you know like to learn and there's a tutorial on the cra my mm. account dude they have all the steps and i was doing my very first one here 2015 and oh okay i'm following i'm doing all right like fill all the blanks okay okay and at the end okay oh i did it all right so like your balance you're owing over way i'm like you leonardo you're owing way over than a hundred thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars and i'm like what i've never seen that money <laughs> in my life i cannot hold that and i repeated the process and i was owing over a hundred thousand again so wow. i just closed it and looked for like you said an account and i've been doing it ever since but one day i'll learn wow so yeah i guess I'm, so so you, you you didn't send that obviously you, you didn't, of course you didn't not. <laughs> <laughs> you'd still be paying it off right now. In jail right yeah. now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I mean, those things happen because you, you miss one box or you miss one thing, and all of a sudden it just ruins your entire return, and you don't know why. And so I get it. It's complicated stuff. So earlier this week, actually, I spoke with Jerry Vitorados. He's the ufile.ca national tax expert, talking about what's different this year and how many things are actually different because of all the things that happened in 2020, which, as you recall, was pretty. Hectic. Well, the first one is obviously uh, those those who receive the benefits, right? Uh, those specific benefits due to the pandemic, which we're talking about, for example, uh, the CERB 
the CRB, etc. So for individuals who receive those benefits, unfortunately, there's going to be a bit of a shock when they're going to file their tax returns, especially those who are receiving the CERB. And that's for one specific reason. The reason in this case is that there were no withholdings at source done for the CERB. So for, for individuals who were, who were receiving that benefit throughout and they were receiving it for quite a bit of time, unfortunately, they have automatically underpaid their taxes. You know, when, you, when you're working uh, and through your salary withholdings, you're paying your tax ahead of time. And then when you file your tax return, you're reconciling. You're figuring out whether you pay too much or too little. Unfortunately, for those people who, re- who receive the CRB, they've automatically paid too little. So uh, for the individuals, they will likely have a balance owing on their tax return. However, the good news, which was a recent announcement made by the government, is that there is interest relief uh, for those individuals who receive those benefits and they have a balance owing. So they have until basically uh, April 30th of 2022 to pay their, t- their balance owing without incurring any interest. So that's the great news there uh, as, far, as far as the CRB and you know, things that are related to, uh, to the pandemic. And aside from the CERB, what about those who found themselves on employment insurance, on EI, throughout parts of 2020? Are they also in a similar situation? No, not exactly, because, or even for the CRB, which was, which was the program that, that replaced the CERB. Thankfully, the government you know, figured out that this was going to be a problem, and they started, withholdings, they started doing withholdings at source. EI, there's always withholdings at source. So the good news is you've already prepaid some of your tax. So you're either not going to have a huge balance owing or you're not going to have a balance owing whatsoever because you've already paid your tax ahead of time. So that's the good news for those who are receiving EI. And thankfully, the, the, the program that replaced the CERB, which is the CRB. And now because of the pandemic, people that are working are mostly working from home, including myself. And so I've been wondering, as somebody who's never done this before, How do I start the process of writing certain expenses off, such as my internet bill, because they are now directly correlated to my working conditions? Yeah, well, the good news is now uh, because, of course, a lot of the, a lot of people were, were required to work from home, uh, d- you know, due to the pandemic in this case. Uh, the good news is now a, a deduction opens up to everybody who is required to work from home, and that's essentially what's called the home office expenses. And home office expenses that's a subcategory of uh, the broader deduction, which is employment expenses. Okay, so that's that's the good news uh, there. Now, what the government has done again uh, to simplify things, because this is not a new deduction. This is not something that this is not a new concept income tax wise. It's a new concept for a lot of people because they weren't eligible for this before. Uh, but it's not a new concept per se. Now, what the government has done, thankfully, in that regard as well, is that they've introduced a new way of computing uh, those those expenses, and they've they've introduced what they call the temporary flat rate method. Okay, and what what essentially what they're what they're doing is. As long as you meet a basic criteria where you were required to work from home for at least four consecutive weeks for more than 50% of the time, and this, of course, is all due to the pandemic, then, then the government simply gives you a $2 a, a $2 workday deduction uh, for the workdays in which you were required to work from home. So there's no paperwork involved. You don't have to get any letter from, the, from, from your employer certifying anything. Uh, you don't need receipts in that case. You simply claim $2 per day for every workday that you worked at home. And, that, and your maximum is capped at $400 as a deduction. And that's a deduction straight off of your taxable income. So you, you reduce the income that you pay tax on by 400 Now, uh, for the existing deduction, uh, the government now calls that the detailed method. Okay, and and that's that's nothing new here. Every anybody who was entitled to who was who was claiming employment expenses before and home office expenses, they knew about this concept already. Now, uh, people who were required to work from home due to the pandemic, they're also entitled to the old method, which is the detailed method. And that's where one example you gave there uh, is internet fees would be eligible in that case. And not just internet fees. So, for example, uh, the rent that you pay, uh, for example, the utilities that you pay, uh, any supplies that you need, you know, uh, folders, uh, pens, paper, etc. All those things fall under uh, the detailed method uh, deduction. Okay, so at that point, you de- essentially you're detailing all your expenses, and you're allowed to claim uh, those expenses. Now, of course, there are catches. Okay, when it comes to the old method, uh, or the, what the government now calls the detailed method, is one you need it, you need to be you, you need to be certified by your employer. So you have to get a specific form from them, which is the T two thousand two hundred S. 
okay, that is signed by them, certifying that you're required to work from home. And, of course, secondly, now you need receipts. You need to start archiving your receipts. You need to find your receipts uh, for those eligible expenditures in the case where you get audited. So the, so the red tape, unfortunately, is a little bit higher. But uh, unlike the temporary flat rate method where you're capped at $400 as a deduction, when it comes to the detailed method, you can go up until your employment income. Okay, so, so it could be practically limitless as far as what you're entitled to deduct. So that's, that's great news. I mean, that, that's going to help a lot of Canadians. He is Jerry Veteratos, National Tax Specialist for ufile.ca. We always get these questions during this time of year, Jerry, so it's great that we could have you on to provide some clarity on these issues. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. I mean, I learned a lot from just that short little conversation about how taxes are going to look a little bit different this year. I know a lot of my friends uh, might have found themselves on CERB or CRB, or in my case last year, uh, throughout parts of 2020, early parts of 2020, I was actually on EI. And that's just because the, the, the nature of the industry at that time is that there weren't a lot of jobs. So I was kind of stuck in a holding pattern until, uh, I mean, fortunately, I did manage to arrive here. And now I get to do this show and see Leo once a week. So it's kind of worked out for me. But my taxes will look different as a result of uh, EI. So I'm sure I'm not alone. And in case you're wondering, yes, experts out there can help you sort these things out. We got this text from Bev saying, income tax forms are like written in Klingon as far as I'm concerned. And trust me, I'm not laughing because I'm laughing at you. I'm laughing because I get it. A lot of these forms are just so complicated. And I think they're meant to be so that the average person can't just get through it super easily, right? Like we're talking about money. And when it comes to money, and especially your taxes, the government wants to make sure they get what's owed to them. Otherwise, like Leo, you're going to have to move to Calgary so that you don't get arrested for owing $100,000. I know you're giggling, but I think that's the truth of your situation there. Oh, uh, well, well, I'm back here already, so I guess I'm better. I fought the law, and I, I won. Well done. Okay. Well done. I might, might, be, might be our next music here heading to the break. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, hey, 877-399-9898. It's the Shift Podcast. Do you still enjoy awards shows? Do they do anything for you? Well... History has shown that award shows, ratings-wise, are getting less and less successful each and every year. And this is regardless of what kind of an award show it really is. Here is Bruce Allen from 980 CKNW with a reality check this week that really does put things into perspective. Take a listen. What it was, and in the conditions that they did it in, the Golden Globes, which were on last Sunday night for three hours, ended up a ratings disaster. There is no other word for it. Last year, the Golden Globes had an 18.9 share in the Nielsen ratings. That was terrible at the time. Sunday night's version dropped to a 6.9 share. That's a 60% drop. 6.9 million viewers is unheard of when it comes to award shows. A few things are in play here. First of all, can we all now agree that the virtual award shows don't work? Hey, virtual anything does not work. Can we also agree that award shows, period, are going the way of the dodo bird? You name it, the ACMs, the CMAs, and now the Golden Globes, Stiff City. Now, I will give you this. The stars are showing up. They're doing their part, rallying around the flag. But it's the TV audience. They would seem not to care. What else can you say when only 6 million people watch a show in the U.S.? Was it all Ricky Gervais? In a very short period of time, the Grammys will be telecast. Last year, that show had a 16.4 share. That was half of what they had in 2012. The demo that is totally checked out would seem to be the 18 to 49 age group who made up 4% of the viewing audience. Yikes. And that was pre-TikTok. Double yikes. As I said a few months ago, the smartest guys in the room were Canadian global superstar Weekend and his manager. They chose to do the Super Bowl instead of the Grammys. His ratings were 104.1 million. I would think that the Grammys would be happy with double digits. Any double digit. We'll see. It all plays out March 14th. Will you be watching? Mm, that's a very, very interesting thought. And that is Bruce Allen uh, from CKNW with the reality check. Uh, side note, uh, it was Bruce's final day at CKNW earlier today. One of the great regrets I've had starting my job six months ago is that because I'm mostly working from home and a lot of us are also working from home, there's still so many people at work that I haven't had the chance to meet. Bruce Allen, one of them, uh, Nikki Reitmeyer, who left us earlier in the uh, in, in, you know January 1st. Uh, I never had the chance to really shake her hand either. So 
there's still so many people that I need to meet. Unfortunately, I'm not sure when I'm going to get to meet Bruce Allen as a result of this uh, being his last day earlier today. But he leaves us with some really interesting thoughts. And although this reality check came earlier in the week, I think what he talks about is so, so uh, it's, I mean, it's so meaningful. It's so powerful. I mean, those numbers speak for themselves. When we're talking about less than 6 million viewers in the United States of America, right? That tells you something is just fundamentally wrong. So is it the fact that it's all just done on, you know, Zoom and it's all done virtually? Like, is that the reason why people have stopped paying attention to award shows? Or is it something a little deeper than that? For me, I don't watch award shows because I really don't care. I mean, I get it. You're supposed to celebrate specific talent. You're supposed to celebrate certain movies or certain music albums or whatever it is. But all of these things seem silly. Like if we understand that taste is subjective, right? Because what my favorite music is might not necessarily be yours. You might actually hate the kind of music that I enjoy. It's all subjective, So then how are we objectively arriving that this movie is better than the other or this song was better than the other? I mean, there are ways that you can gauge like how many uh, how many plays you got on YouTube, how many albums were sold. Sure, those are hard, firm numbers. But then why do we need an award show to celebrate numbers that we already know, numbers that we can obtain ourselves? It just seems totally unnecessary to me. And then, of course, it's how a lot of these award shows function. Now, some people might say this is a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, but a lot of award shows can be essentially rigged, purchased by virtue of certain studios having more financial uh, flexibility so they can you know, afford to buy a little bit more airtime or buy their movies into more movie theaters, which increases box office opportunities. Like a lot of these things can be bet. It's just quite Interesting. So when you look at the truth of the matter, award shows aren't really celebrating the success of any real thing. It's celebrating how much money something really made. And I don't know if that's the ultimate example of me, for me, uh, of what success really looks like. Leo, like, do you still care for award shows? Uh, I care to know like who won. I don't care for the ceremony itself. And mm. I, I, and, and it's something if you like the academy and the other organization like the academy has said like for even going back like years past because uh, the ratings keep getting down like lower for the Oscar, lower, lower yeah. and lower yeah. like every year and they say according to them like and i think they're foolish in saying because they believe because some of these movies are not doing well in the box office well i guess streaming has made quite a challenge on and uh people just i don't think like today people just can't withstand like if they're if you're waiting to just they're not gonna be sitting around for three hours just to hear Mm. like if your favorite movie has won best picture or not you can check on the next day i yeah yeah Uh, and and streaming itself is a competitor right because people would rather watch again their favorite netflix tv show maybe instead of an award show that's happening live that night because they were very hesitant to exactly uh, to adopt like a streaming up up until now the pandemic with with the pandemic they you know they had to embrace it the academy created its own streaming service for its members so that they can do the whole oscars process Mm. and then that's how they're doing now yeah i mean the the, i think the people are just sick and tired of the virtual settings that right now is happening for a lot of different award shows and they're trying to do their best you know nobody thought this would be happening two years ago and now uh, i mean rather like a year ago so really they're they're rolling with the punches I get it. It's just not working. Clearly, the numbers are telling us this way. Is it time to just pull the plug entirely? I'd be okay with it. Like, if there was never an Academy Awards or a Golden Globes or Grammys ever again, I wouldn't lose sleep. You know, I'd just be like, great. Now we can actually discuss what is good music or good movies instead of just, oh, yeah, you won the award. Good for you. Doesn't really matter to me. 877-399-9898. Let's connect with Natalie, who's been waiting patiently on the phones. Natalie, welcome to The Shift. Hey, thank you. Um, you know what? I'm so glad I listened to your, like, I'm going to say diatribe. I'm sorry if that's an offensive term. It that's a great, be, that's a great word. <laughs> okay. Well, because you explained it perfectly well, because um, I find when I watch award shows, I always learn something. Mm. Like, for example, the latest, um, I think it was the Grammys I watched or the Academy Awards, I forget. Which, right. Which, exa- again, says, okay, how, how uh, like, 
what 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 point do they place in our lives? But mm. the principal point behind one speech of one movie, and I can't even remember what the movie was about, but they said we're for workers' rights globally, and she said we need to we need to lift up global uh, um, um, low paying workers' rights right. globally. Yeah, I like that. So, I don't even know which what movie it was about, but her speech said, "Okay, oh my God, somebody's advocating about it through through cinema, through arts, through through whatever it is that they're advocating. Somebody is advocating for that, and and um, yeah, it, sometimes through 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 cinema, through TV, through yeah. movies, yeah, you know, so." I don't think we should reject that. Fair. But I like the fact that you brought up the fact that, okay, if we reject award shows, we can watch these movies, but we can come to our own collective opinion. Right. And we can discuss it on our own. I think that's the point you were trying to make. Exactly, yes. And your show, in particular, could take that to another level. Just like Art Bell and George Norrie took their shows to another level. And I've said that <laughs> before on this show. You could do it. <laughs> well, I do thank you for that, Natalie. Uh, we're just up against the clock, but I thank you so much for the phone call because I think you make some good points about those speeches. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right. That is, that is Natalie out in Pitt Meadows. Uh, I do appreciate her for that. And you know what? Some of those speeches really do rock. I'll admit to that. And we do learn some things. Like there is an opportunity to use it as a platform to advocate for really good things. But can we do that outside of award shows? Yeah, we can. Right? We can make videos just at, at any time, especially if you're a celebrity. This is The Shift Podcast. All right, uh, without any further ado, let's get into it. Another edition of Learning Portuguese with Leo. Hola, shift heads. It's time to learn Portuguese with Leonardo. It's the classiest segment of any radio program uh, in the country. It is Learning Portuguese with Uncle Leo. And we've got a lot of requests here from our listeners, including a very special request of sorts. We'll save that. First, let's get through some of the show-related themes for the night. So, Leo, uh, Professor Leo, as we started the show, I shared that I wasn't having a great night. So how do we say in Portuguese, I'm having a bad day? I'm having a bad day, damn it. Uh... Estou tendo um dia ruim. Estou tendo um dia ruim. Yes. Ah. Estou tendo um dia ruim. Estou tendo um dia ruim. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a, a, that's a better intonation. Yeah. Estou tendo um dia ruim. Okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. Yeah, I was. I was. I was having a bad day. Our listeners did help, though. And I do appreciate that. All right. And we covered, uh, of course, uh, the unfortunate news that Walter Gretzky uh, has passed away this week. So, quite simply, in Portuguese, we'll miss you, Walter Gretzky. Sentiremos sua falta, Walter Gretzky. Sentiremos sua falta, Walter Gretzky. Yeah. Sentiremos sua falta, Walter Gretzky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we will we'll definitely will. Yes, yeah. yes, we already do. Uh, and we talked a little bit about awards show, and of course the classic line at any award show is, and the winner is, drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. How does one say that in Portuguese? Eu vencedor é... Oh, hold on. Eu vencedor é... Vencedor. Vencedor. Eu vencedor é... And then drum roll. Yeah, okay, all right. And, and what's the biggest like award show in, in Brazil? Is there is there uh, like in movies? Yeah, uh, Gramado Film Festival is a Gramado? big one. Yeah. São Paulo Film Festival uh-huh. a big one, and Rio Film Festival. I think those are the three biggest ones. Brazilian gotcha. Film Festival, I think. Yeah, like right. outside. Yeah. All right, we uh, we had a a little conversation with Jerry Viterados from ufile.ca regarding your tax returns here in the new year, and it's going to look a little different because of 2020. So, of course, in Portuguese, how do we say? Don't forget your tax because you really shouldn't. Yep. Let's see if John can get that. Não esqueça de suas declarações de impostos. Oh, this is, this is, what have I done? <laughs> Não esqueça. Não esqueça. Não esqueça. Yes. De suas. Suas. De suas. Yes. Declarações. Declarações. De impostos. De impostos. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh. I can't do that in one go, but 
enough said. Please don't forget your taxes. We're officially eight weeks away. That's what Friday was supposed to represent. And uh, we had a great conversation with my former colleague, uh, Mike Gastineau from Seattle, a sports media uh, legend in that city. We talked about what's going on with the Seattle Kraken. And I think it's very fitting. We even had this request come in. How do you say unleash the Kraken in Portuguese? There's got to be a version. Liberto Kraken. Liberto Kraken. Liberto Kraken. Liberto Kraken. Yes. Sounds pretty cool. Too. Oh, awesome. say, say it with as much emphasis as you can to make it dramatic. Liberto Kraken. <laughs> oh, I like that a lot. Oh, this is good. All right. Uh, now let's get into some of our listener requests. And we got this one from Catherine in Surrey. And Catherine looking out for Mama Cuello. So, Leo... How do you say, Mom, go back to bed? Mãe, volte pra cama. Mãe, volte pra cama. <laughs> yes. And she's listening. And she's so, still listening. Don't listen to the repeat. You already heard everything after our show. So, yeah, go to bed. Mãe, volte pra cama. Mãe, mãe, try. Mãe, yes. Mãe, volte pra cama. Volte pra cama. Yeah. Okay, all right, Mama. Mama Cuello, we do thank you for listening live in Brazil. Uh, this one from Burton out in Winnipeg. Uh, this is the special request. Maybe we save this one for last. What do you think? Yes, please. Okay, all right. This one is it's worthy. Uh, okay, moving on to Chris and his request. How do you say recognize? As in, you better recognize, man. This is me trying to sound cool. Reconhecer. 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 I know the third <laughs> syllable is a tough one. Reconhe. Try to get the nye. Reconhe. Yes. Reconhece. Reconhece. But oh, se. That's, that's se tricky. is the stress syllable. Reconhece. 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 Yes, sir. Okay. The last syllable is a stress one, so reconhece. I can't recognize. But I'm trying. You try, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Uh, well, and then, Leo, uh, you got a request here from Steve. More of a question, but he said, what would you say if you hit your thumb with a hammer? Oh, acerte o seu polegar com martelo. Can that be translated appropriately and uh, uh, without any... Because I think this is... Was this like... I don't think... Is this... For me, I, I interpreted this as an exclamation? Or what you, you're saying it's a question? Because I, I can see. I think. Basically, he's saying, what would you say if you were in a lot of pain? If you uh, hurt yourself. Oh, okay. I would say, oh, oh, the, oh, the, 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 in this case, like, no Something idea what that, that means, yeah. 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 So that, that's, that's what would be, like, acertar o polegar com martelo. That's, hit, hit with thumb is polegar, that like. One uh, more, one more request here before we get to the special one from Burton out in Winnipeg. This one from Betts out in Abbotsford. She wants to know how you say, I'm awesome in Portuguese. She wants you to whisper it. Uh, she wants me to whisper. Eu sou, <laughs> eu sou fantástico. Eu sou incrível. Eu sou no, that's, that's Spanish. Yeah, that's eu right. sou, Yo eu sou. Eu sou, yes. Eu sou fantástico. Eu sou fantástico. 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 Yes. Eu sou fantástico. I don't know why we're whispering it, but okay. Yeah. Eu oh, sou fantástico. Because fantastico. she asked. She asked us to whisper. <laughs> All right. That's a... Okay, sure. That's a request from Betts out in Abbotsford. Thank you for that. All right, let's move on to the rather unique request from Burton in Winnipeg. Leo, he called to request a song, Spoonful of Sugar from Mary Poppins, done in Portuguese. Which, though I hadn't seen Mary Poppins in forever, I don't remember the song or anything. No, I, but I'm like, oh, you know, does a listener and a kind of cool request, so I wanted to at least give him something, right? So here during the break, and uh, you know, I, I found the dub version. There's oh, a dub version okay. that play in Brazil. Okay. Like, if you're familiar, like, you know, we can, we can hear a little bit and I can sing along with her. <laughs> All right. Guys, Without further ado, here we go. A musical performance. Uh, yeah, Mary. Here's a spoonful of sugar, which in Portuguese is um pouco de açúcar. And here we go with uh, Mary Poppins. Here, let me go. Se torna um prazer. Daí, assim, eu posso lhe dizer. 
de açúcar a terra é melhor um prazer Remédio passa a ser Só um pouco de açúcar faz qualquer remédio ser Wow. wow, that was spectacular. Well done. <laughs> well done to the singer and well done to Leo. I'm sure you didn't expect tonight that you would have to sing on national radio, but, ah, uh, you know, the joys of live radio. Anything and everything usually does happen. Uh, 877-399-9898. We appreciate all the requests coming in. We couldn't get to all of them, unfortunately. It's such a popular segment. But if you let us know ahead of time, you can always email john at itstheshift.ca and let us know if there's anything you would love to learn for next week's episode. It happens once a week. It's another edition of Learning Portuguese with Uncle Leo. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.